So we are talking on a crazy expensive salad. Um, and before we get stuck in, if you have your Bibles, well, we are getting stuck in, I would love you to turn to Psalm 24. Uh, if you don't, it is going to be up on the screen. Um, we're going to read it together. And we're really going to just be spending our time in this passage for the moments we have together. So it will come across on the screen. I will read it. You can follow along as well. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false, other translations would say, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, and who has not sworn deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness, other people would say vindication, from God, the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is he, this king of glory? It is the Lord of armies. He is the king of glory. We're going to dive into it and spend some time in this, but to kick us off, a few years ago, Sarah and I went on holiday. Praise the Lord, it was before children, so we actually got to enjoy it. Um, no, no, you enjoy it later, but uh, we're excited for that. And while we're exploring it and we're checked out in the short time that we have, what are the things that we need to see? So we obviously looked at different activities, and then we got down to people saying, hey, listen, there's something that's free that you have to get to see. It is the fountains that happen to music at the base of the tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa. They happen sort of at midday twice, but then from six in the evening onwards, they happen sort of every half an hour for five minutes. And people said, you've just got to be there. It's one of the only things you don't have to pay for in Dubai, um, which we were chuffed working in ministry. We were like, anything that's free, we are there. And, we, um, and so we thought, okay, great, we're going to get there. So we plan it. We don't have many evenings. We get there sort of at five, or we've been at the mall for a bit right next to it. We get there, and already at sort of five, 5.30 before it starts, you just start to see the crowds coming all around because people obviously know about this notes happening so we squeeze our way through people right to the front of the crowds and then we see this Um, it looks pretty amazing, obviously better live, but you guys get a picture, at least the sound of it, which is amazing. There's speakers everywhere and they just pump this beautiful orchestral music. Now it looked amazing, went on for five minutes, but as we were watching, someone said to us nearby or, or just before, they said, listen, it's great now, wait until it gets dark, but you have to get a few floors up. You've got to get to one of the restaurants that's just on the side so that you can really look down on this and you, you really get the full effect of it. So we're like, okay, perfect. Fight through the crowd again because now there's everyone there on the side. We're like, we've got half an hour to find a spot and get ourselves ready for the next show as it gets dark. So we check out the different floors and the third floor was like by far the best place to see it from. So we go there to the restaurant and we see some space on the balcony. That's where you have to get to. So we obviously chat to the person. We just say, hey, um, we 
we, we would love to come and have a drink, you know, on the balcony. Just want to have a drink. Um, and as we go, he's like, so you do realize that you're going to need to order a main meal. So we're like, oh, psh, whatever. Uh, it's worth it for the fountains. So we go and we sit down, and then he presents us with the menu. Now, when we opened it, that was a terrifying experience. So we open it, and uh, we're sitting. He's like, right, so which um, course would you like? We'll just have a little bit of time to discuss, please. Thank you very much. So we order a drink in the first time, a, a, a cappuccino and some horrible Turkish coffee or something like that. It was disgusting. Um, to other people, it might have been nice. And we order this, and uh, we're drinking. Now we look at the menu, and we're just going through, and it is terrifying, particularly for us on the budget that we have. So we found pretty much the two cheapest things that the waiter would allow us to order just to stay. He was obviously angry, bad tip coming his way. He was pretty bleak. There was a scoop of ice cream. Sorbet, um, which was nine US dollars for a scoop, and then there was a side salad, and the side salad was 25 US. So we thought, but he would let us have these two, and we were allowed to sit. So I've got a picture, I think, coming up next. If you click over, um, yeah, I'll click one more. Perfect. Okay, so there's the sorbet. Uh, it was pretty random and average. It tasted okay, better off for the price. There was the coffee, and then if you click over next uh, to the next one, this is the salad. Now, it doesn't really do it justice, but basically, there was one piece of cheese on the side, and then there was just a mountain of lettuce. That's what I paid 25 US dollars for. Um, <laughs> And there might have been some salad dressing, but I was pretty angry when it arrived. But we at least got to stay. So we were allowed to stay in the place where we were. So we're sitting there eating and we're waiting and it's starting to get dark. And then it gets to the place where the show starts. And I think if we click over to the next. Okay, so I had to show you the end a little bit because otherwise there was too much of me talking saying, Sierra, make sure you're recording, make sure you're watching it live at the same time. Oh my goodness, this is incredible. Oh my goodness, we're getting, I mean, it was just like that. So that was the only, the only spot I could um, find. And as I said, it doesn't particularly do it immense justice, but I can guarantee you that the show that we saw and what we heard was worth the price of that salad a hundred times. Hands down. I would have paid it again and again. I would have gone back again and again if we had time just to get the experience and the feel of that show. It was magical. It was mesmerizing. It was other world, words like, worlds like, and you sort of struggle to describe it. So if you guys haven't been to Dubai, save up and go just for the fountains. It's absolutely worth it. But it was one of the greatest memories I, I think we've shared together, being together and experiencing that together. Can I tell you, that a single moment in God's presence should be and is of far greater value than any earthly experience we could ever have 
or ever desire. We should be more desperate for him than any pleasure, any experience, any moment that our lives have to offer. We should long for the moments where time stands still, where we feel a heaviness, we feel a tangible heaviness in the room as God's glory and as God's presence comes. So the question I ask today as we dive into the Psalms is, if you're not desperate for his presence, why not? It's an important thing to, to think through and an important thing to analyze in your life. If you're not desperate for his presence on a daily, weekly basis, why not? Very important thing to analyze. We're gonna look at it in a little bit. Why do we not crave his presence like that fountain experience that I could go to again and again? Why is his presence not an urgent thing in our lives? Why? Why is the tangible sense of him and his presence with us not an urgent thing to us? Why do we not really care about experiencing his presence and being together as people in his presence? It was great what Rich shared today about a desperation, us actually changing our perspective. But why is it not that being together in his presence is not something we crave? Why is it that, ah, if we go to church, we have to, as Rich said, we've got to tick off the box. You know, my two little girls, if they can't go to church for whatever reason, it brings them to tears. It brings them to tears if they cannot be with church. Is it perfect? No. Or sometimes the kids in the toddlers, especially the Raybold kids and others, horrible to them, the Holly kids. I mean, you know, it's not that it's perfect, even in their little eyes, as five and three. It's not like church is a perfect experience but they're desperate to be there. Why? Because they can overlook some of the things that aren't perfect. They can overlook some of the people that annoy them. They can go, actually, we get to be with Jesus. Church is important. Then what we do as adults is we train our children out of the importance of church. We train them out of it. Oh, there's better things. Bacon and egg rolls today. Oh, it was just such a busy weekend. We train them out of a love for Jesus, his church that he died for, and his presence. Such a challenge for each of us, parents or not. So it's important for us to work out why the King of Kings presence doesn't have the value to you and I that he should. And I'll be the first to admit it doesn't always, isn't always the case for me. You see, it's possible for you and I to hear about the fountains from afar. It's possible for us to stand at ground level, to look up and go, it would be astounding to see it from up there, but we can't really be bothered to make the journey to explore. Or it could be that we get to the restaurant of God's presence and there's a cost to it because there's a cost to pursuing God's presence, but we leave going, my goodness, there's no ways I'm gonna expend that cost to be in God's presence. So we leave angry and frustrated with him just falling a few meters short of what it could be to live a life in his presence. So let's dive into the psalm, and I believe it's gonna give us four very key steps to take in order to assess our lives, to restructure, to pursue all that God has for us in order that we have a water fountain experience on a daily, weekly basis in our lives as we live in his presence. And it's something that we desperately need, whether we realize it or not, which we'll see from this passage. So we kick it off. First step, when it comes down to experiencing God's presence and pursuing his presence in our lives and the reasons why we don't is that we can underestimate God's greatness. This is the key killer 
of us experiencing his presence in our lives. We underestimate God's greatness. Let's look at that first uh, verse that will come up there if you click over to the next one. Um, And this is what it says right at the beginning. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and he established it on the rivers. So let's just stop for a second and grasp this this morning. Everything that happens on earth Every life, every plant, every animal, every human being, every breath that you and I take, every piece of history and every piece of the future belongs to God. That's an amazing word there. It belongs to the Lord. He has ownership over it. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we choose to submit to him or not, he owns it all. It all falls within his kingly rule. He created everything. That means that you and I are his possession. We're not our own. We are his possession, not the other way around. Uh, Amazing um, theologian Bruce Ware, he writes, the universe is governed by God. Not one atom, despot, or demon acts in any respect to hinder what God has ordained. Karl Barth, another great writer, says, God is not dependent on anything. On the contrary, everything is dependent on him. And an unknown source here says one of the main differences between us and God is that God doesn't wander around thinking he is us. (laughs) Say it again. One of the main differences between us and God is that God doesn't wander around thinking he is us. No matter how important you feel you are, no matter your successes, your wealth, your outward appearance, your intellect, and the list could go on, it is nothing compared to the greatness of God. Nothing. You and I are but a speck on the landscape of time. We are a vapor, and we're called that in the Bible. We are very small, and he is astoundingly powerful. We are incredibly weak and fragile, no matter how often we go to the gym, and he is mighty beyond comparison. Our successes will be forgotten, and our empires will crumble. It's likely that in a few hundred years, no one will know who Craig is or who Craig was, and none of us in this room either. Except King Jesus, he knows. (laughs) He knows. The only thing he cares about is our relationship with him and the way in which we live to see others come to know him. The first step to experiencing his presence is to have the right perspective of our relationship with God. He is immensely loving, we'll see that in a bit, but he is immensely powerful. You may have heard stories before of the water fountain experience, stories before of who, who, God this, who this God is. Or maybe you're here, you would call yourself a Christ follower, but he just hasn't had that place of immense awe and power in your life. Well, today, now is the time to journey in to find out more. So now is the time to change your perspective and get things the right way around. So that's the first one, we underestimate God's greatness. The next thing that we do is we overestimate our goodness. We overestimate our goodness. Maybe we think we don't really need the the experience of the fountains that much. Maybe we sort of kind of think that what we're doing at the moment is enough. People have told us stories, you've gotta experience the fountain. Ah, it's okay. I'm doing very well myself. No need for me to explore it further. No need for me to go up to the third floor. It's fine, doing very well on my own. Maybe other people need that. Other people who are really struggling. That person who's properly messed up, not me. Those people, they need him. 
but I'm good and I'm doing fine on my own. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? You can click over to it. Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully. On the back of talking about God's greatness, uh, David, who's attributed to writing this, King David, one of the greatest rulers that there's been, he goes on to say, if he's that great, who out of us humans have any possible right or any possible means to get close to him? Who can ascend this mountain where God is? Who can stand in his holy place? Who would be okay when he comes up against such purity and such power? You know, to give us an idea of God's holiness, I just absolutely love this passage that I've, I've come across. It was Moses' encounter with him. God had many encounters in the Bible with his people. This is pre-Jesus coming, uh, when people in many respects had to see God from afar. We're gonna read it together. Um, I, it should be up there next, uh, Exodus 33. You just click over, perfect. Uh, this is what it says. Uh, so Moses is there, he's talking with God. Amazing. Uh, he, uh, God replies, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. You see, then, which should be the case now, the Jewish people on the external were supposed to look absolutely different. There was supposed to be a tangible perception of God's power with them. And he went with them. Pillar of, um, pillar of cloud in the day, pillar of fire at night. People knew and they saw the presence as an external. Now for us it should be internal people seeing things. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this. Ah, did I miss it? Ah, perfect. This very thing that you've asked. For you have found favor with me and I know you by name. Then Moses said, amazing to be known by name. He knows each of us by name. Then Moses said, please let me see your glory. This is what God says, I will cause my goodness, glory, goodness, to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name, the, the Lord, before you. I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he added, this is where we just get a, a slight taste of the glory and the holiness and the purity of God. You cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live. One day, as Christ follows, when we stand before him pure and we're gonna live with him forever, then we'll see his face. But now, we do not have the capacity to stand before him face to face with the sin in our lives. The Lord said, here is a place near me, you're to stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take my hand away and you will see my back. But my face will not be seen. Amazing, so Moses got to see God's back. But if he was to see God's face, he wouldn't have lived. That's the level of God's holiness and might. So how do we get close? How do we get to be like Moses? What adjustments must we make in our lives? Once we've seen the greatness of who he is, what adjustments do we need to make? Well, we live in the new covenant. Jesus has paid the price for your sin and mine on the cross. So the first thing that you need, if you don't, need, if you don't have it today, to be able to be in God's presence is a new heart. You need a new heart, you need a new life. You need to move from darkness to light. You need to believe, and then you need to repent. And repent means turning 180 degrees. I'm living for myself, but now I turn. 
That's the definition of repent. I turn and now the only one I'm following, the only one I care about is Jesus. And that happens as you believe. And then, if that's happened in your life already, if you're a Christ follower, if you've already done that, then you need to, and I need to, keep repenting. Keep believing. Keep ensuring that we're walking in a way that honors the King of Kings. Because it's easy for us to go, yeah, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 17. I don't really think that much about following him on a day-to-day basis. I probably should, but it's okay, because I'm saved. Possibly. I hope you're still saved. But I would hedge my bets that when you're transformed from the inside out, you have a daily, weekly, monthly desire to grow closer to him. I'd say that's an indicator of you being saved. But how, you might ask, how do I do that? How do I keep repenting? How do I keep believing? Well, he says it there. He says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Now, clean hands, this is also translated as innocent hands. It's about our actions. It's about what we do. Do our actions demonstrate that Jesus is our first love and our priority? Do our actions point people to Christ? Jesus says that... um, talks about Christ's folly, says that people may see their good deeds and praise the Father in heaven, i.e. do people see from our actions and what we do that there's someone that we live for greater than ourselves? Do our actions help extend God's kingdom? So having a um, clean hand is about having actions that are in line with God. And then he goes on to say pure heart. It's the same as same word as pure heart in Matthew 5 verse 8 where Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. They will see God. So having a pure heart, it's not about action, it's about motive. So we need to have the right motives for our actions and vice versa. This is about the reason we say and act the way that we do. What's behind the way in which we live? It's easy to put on a front, it's easy to put on a face, but then we don't have a pure heart. We may have clean hands, but no pure heart. We've gotta have both if we wanna be in God's presence. See, true closeness to Christ is shown in a hunger for God. So if you're here today and you don't have a hunger for God, a desperate hunger, we're not always gonna get it right, but if you don't have a desperate hunger for Jesus and for the things of God, then you need to go and look back and go, okay, Lord, why is my heart not pure? Why are my hands not clean? Why do I not have this desire? And God will show you. See, having a pure heart is about seeking him, the one who's ultimately pure and then being fair and generous in our dealings with others as we have clean hands. Then he goes on and he says, what else is gonna stop us? Um, What's gonna help us not to overestimate ourselves? That's where he goes on and he says, who has not appealed to what is false, who has not sworn deceitfully. What's that about? Well, appealing to what is false, this is about idolatry. It's about having something that we put in the place of God, a false God. That's what it is, that's what idolatry is, is something in our lives being of greater value to God. It's placing our trust in something other than God. What you place your trust in more than him will determine the extent to which you experience his presence. The more that you place your trust in Jesus for your life and everything in it, the more you will experience his presence. The more that you place your trust in things other than Jesus, the less you will experience his presence because you will be living an idolatrous life. So what's your trust today? What are your idols? Is it your comfort? Is it your wealth? Is it a friend? Is it your spouse? Is it your success? 
want you to imagine the scene of coming before your God if it isn't God. Imagine the money that you've stashed over time and it's sitting on the throne. And just imagine, it's, this is how crazy it is. Imagine your mind walking up and just going, oh money, please show me what I should do with the next 10 years of my life. Or, oh money, I just need wisdom on how to live. It's just mind boggling that that's what we do, but we do. We do that, we place something on the throne where Jesus is supposed to be and then we ask, it of, we ask of it things. Please will you keep me safe? My medical aid, medical aid, I'm trusting in you. I'm relying on you for everything in my health and safety. We do it. We do it all the time. Check out what the idols are in your life. It is so easy for us to, re, to worship the created rather than the creator. So easy, but it is foolishness. Because everything belongs to God. Everything, he's mapped out your days. Nothing could change that. So anything other than him being the one we put our trust in is foolishness. What about this one sworn deceitfully? This is about our sincerity. It's about our honesty. It's about living a life of truth. We may swear deceitfully to try and gain something, maybe status, we may tell stories, we may tell lies of other people, we may knock people down, not tell the truth about them so that we can be lifted up. But one thing is for sure, that if this is a regular part of our lives, we won't experience the wonder of God's presence because he's truth. He's truth in life. So we're living a life that isn't truthful, that's knocking people down. We won't experience that wonder. So what are the areas of your life and mine that we're not letting God be a part of? What front are we putting on that isn't true? What in our speech and what we say and what comes out of our heart is smashing other people down and lifting us up that's not truthful? We desperately need Christ in our lives to purify us, to show us our sin, to help us to not overestimate how good we are. And as we begin to walk with him, we will begin to enjoy his presence. It's a process, it's a very humbling one. So that's the second one. What else do we need to know to experience his presence? If we click over to the next, sorry, you can go back to it again. That the reward is worth the sacrifice. The reward of his presence is worth the sacrifice. So for Sarah and I, we had to work our way through the crowds. That was okay. People get a bit angry though when they're trying to take videos of something and you're sort of bashing and getting your face in the way of them. And we're, we're getting through the crowds. It's a bit of work. Then we had to get up the different floors. Okay, it wasn't that hard. I think there was actually lifts because they work in Dubai. Um, got up there. Then there was the, the pain of our wallet and the frustration of this waiter who was clearly angry with us for ordering so little and trying to be skivers when other people were spending this huge amount. But then we would have missed out. So there's immense reward for sacrificing our lives for Christ, for obeying him, for following him wholeheartedly. Look what it says here. Click to the next one, thanks. Says he will receive, the person who does that, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation, such as the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Now blessing, the blessing of God, this relates to the favor of God. I think each of us want the favor of God on our lives. Do you want a real sense of God at work within you and through you? A dramatic sense of purpose every day so that when you wake up, there's a reason for me to live today. There's a reason greater than the work I'm doing, greater than everyday life in Harare. There's a greater purpose. Do you want a supernatural peace 
that makes no sense and isn't logical, but you just have a peace you can't describe, a radical joy that bubbles out of you and bursts out of you, that comes from his blessing in your life. We can often shrink down his blessing to money, right? Oh, I'm just, I'm just so blessed. What a great meal, we're just so blessed. We got to go on holiday, we're just so blessed. Jesus sees it as far more than that. That's to weaken his blessing down to something monetary, something physical. His blessing encompasses every area of life and it's much more spiritual than it is external. The external should be the overflow of what's happening on the inside. Ephesians 1 verse three. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Paul's trying to get across a picture of us that when we're Christ followers, when we're following hard after Christ, what we're really aiming for, what we really have as an inheritance is blessings that will come in the future forever. We get a taster of it now and that's great. But our aim and our pursuit and our desire is for the blessings of Christ internally that overflow now but for all eternity. Christ's blessing is about what he's doing in our hearts and what is to come for all eternity. Don't water down his blessing, the reward of his presence, into something monetary and something temporary. It is far greater than that. What a reward. That is a reward worth going after. Next great reward, righteousness from God. Other translations would say vindication. The definition of that is the action of clearing someone of blame or suspicion. That's the definition, clearing of it. And this is so interesting because in a sense, it's saying that when we ascend the hill of the Lord, when we stand in his holy place, when we're seeking his counsel and wisdom, it's an essential element of our saving grace. We're saved in a moment as we come to Christ, but it's almost that the way in which we live with clean hands and a pure heart, the way in which we go up his hill, we pursue his holiness, is proof that we've earned a righteousness from Christ. So the reward of going after him is this righteousness that can't be explained. And then God goes on to say, who are the people who receive these blessings? Who are the people who receive these rewards? Who are the people who are actually Christ followers? That's what he says, what are they like? He says, they are a generation that seeks God. They're a generation that seeks God. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of God. Seekers a lot more than just find. Seekers a lot more than just stumble across something. Seek is about turning to someone for advice and help. It's inquiring, but inquiring like we're actually gonna listen to what the person has to say. It signifies trust that the person you speak to is the one you believe is in control of your life. It's putting aside your desires and plans for what the king would say to you. Amos 5, Amos 5 verse six, interestingly enough, says that seeking the Lord results in life. So what David is saying here in the psalm, he's saying that this generation that seeks God are the ones who inherit life because they're saved from the inside out when they encounter him. It's about people who dig deep beneath the topsoil until they reach the gold of God's presence. And so I'm certain that that's what God says when he says such is the generation. Those who are Christ followers operate like this. They're the generation that I love. 
God looks on with great love a generation that serves him like this. They inquire of me, they seek me because they want to obey me. I'm their priority, they love me. They're desperate to serve me. They're the ones who can come to this holy place. They're the ones who will enjoy my presence. They have experienced my fountain of life. They have a relationship with me. You see, there's such a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God. A huge difference. But knowing God will take sacrifice, but the reward is worth it. There is a cost, there is a battle. We need to make a prayerful cost-counting decision in our hearts that we will make God's presence a priority in our lives. You need to acknowledge that you embark on a journey that the enemy hates. (laughs) When you put your hand up to say, I wanna pursue Jesus, you've gotta be sure and you've gotta know that the enemy hates it. He hates it because of the impact it can have in your life and others. And so it'll be filled with distractions, challenges, trials of many kinds. If you decide today, oh my goodness, I've been so challenged by God's word, I am gonna make a decision to pursue Jesus, you can pretty much be sure it's gonna be the worst week of your life. I'm just warning you, you can pretty be sure. The reason is that the enemy is not omnipotent. He can't be everywhere. He has to choose, right? Him and, and him and his demonic forces. So when he looks across harvest and he goes, hmm, there's 120 people, they're just ticking a box on Sunday, but there's 40 people who are red, hot, passionate for Jesus. Those are the guys I do not want to see thriving. They will because God's bigger. God's gonna win the battle. But you can just be sure that the battle increases when your passion for Jesus increases. If you're sitting here and going, there just doesn't feel like any battle in my life. I'm just cruising. Maybe, just maybe, it's because you're not following Jesus as you should. Maybe, just maybe. So think about that. And remember, his presence is vital. It's not an optional element for the Christian faith. It's the cornerstone in which your faith is built. It's the proof that you are a new creation. Being in God's presence and the battle that will happen there is worth any cost to your life, to your time, and to your comfort. So go for it. The reward is worth it now and for all eternity. The last one, as we close. The last point, um, as we tick onto it. Sorry, that was the one that I read earlier. God is on, sorry, it should have been yellowed out. God is on a mighty mission. If we don't get a big picture of the mission that God is on and what he's called us to, we most definitely won't enjoy his presence because we won't desire it enough because we won't, we won't sort of think that he's about anything. Yeah, great to have his presence and I do need it, but what mission is he on? See, vision is in such an important aspect of our lives because it gives us something to fight for and God is on a great mission. When we were there, the music starts and the fountains burst out. You can almost feel the atmosphere changing. You can almost feel it, it was just electric around there. It was worth every cost. It was worth why people told us to come and be there. Look at this um, amazing pictorial thing uh, that we get to in this last little section. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory? He is the Lord. He is strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, you ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is he, this king of glory? He is the Lord of armies. He is the king of glory. Now this is a great picture of David bringing back the ark to Jerusalem. And God's presence was with the ark. 
Now God's presence is in us and around us, but then God's presence was there with the ark, where the ark went, God's presence went. So this is a very special psalm, and people think it's talking about the time where the ark is coming to its resting place in Jerusalem. It's that crazy occasion where David the king strips off his robes, he dances ahead of the ark, his wife is looking down on him going, what an idiot, why is he that excited about Jesus? He's looking like a fool, and he says, I just don't care, this is God who I'm worshiping. It's just a crazy scene. I'm Imagine other onlookers going, I can't believe that's our king. Why the heck do we follow a guy like that? Because he just couldn't care less. He just went wild. It says in the translations, he went undignified. Absolutely astounding because he was that excited about God's presence. So anyway, this is happening. And in a sense now, you've got God, picture it the ark, but God uh, almost talking to the gates of the city and having this little exchange, having this little exchange about whether he should come in or whether he shouldn't. And in a sense, because we're in the new covenant, he's having this exchange with you and I. Should I come into your heart? Should I not? Are you gonna be on mission with me? Are you not? And we have a response to it as well. It's a great little picture. So um, it's, it's this great dra- drama that goes backwards and forwards. So uh, he says, lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, you ancient doors. He's saying that to you and I right now. He's saying, get your heart ready. Open yourself up to me. Right now, this moment, but for your whole life, harvest as a church individually, are you ready? Are you prepared to open your heart? Are you prepared to open up to all that I would have you do? So this is what he says. He says, let the king of glory come in. And this is what's so interesting. The word for glory, kavod. K-A-V-O-D. It means glory, honor, wealth, riches, abundance, nobility. And it is only used to describe God. That term glory is the only one used to describe God. The adjective form kaved, it literally means heaviness. That's why you can genuinely feel, like I've shared before, sometimes when we worship, sometimes when we pray, it feels like the room is heavy. Maybe in your own, in your room, you're praying and suddenly you're just like, I'm just talking to God, but everything feels different. It's because when his glory comes, there's a weight. There's a heaviness you experience a change in the atmosphere of a room when his glory comes. It's because the kavod of God is there. You see, earthly kings can have kabod with a B, which is a natural manufactured beauty, but only God has kavod. The king of glory. He's saying, I am the king and I am a different kind of king. I am not an earthly king. I'm not someone who you can just treat lightly. I am the king of glory, the king of kavod, absolutely different to anyone else. But then guess what? We've got a choice because he says this and then the city answers, but who is this king of glory? So we have this choice. We can go, but who is this God? Is he really that important to me? Yeah, he might be powerful. Yeah, he might be mighty, but who is he really? Does he really have a role in my life? Does he really have a role in this church? We can answer like that. Can we really trust him? What is he really like? Notice the battle imagery over there. Who is this king of glory? And then he answers, it is the Lord, the strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. So you can't follow God without joining the battle because he is a battle working God. 
Even right now, the battle rages about us. It rages for us. It rages for your heart. It rages for your mind. It rages for your life. There is a battle happening in the heavenly realms right now for you to take this message seriously or not. He is mighty. He is strong. He is on a mission. He wants to be the ruler of your heart and others. He's not stagnant. He's not weak. He is the rider on the white horse that is spoken about in Revelation who commands the armies of heaven. And one of those angels has the power to wipe out hundreds of thousands of people as an angel did in the Old Testament, King Isaiah's time. This is one great king, mighty in battle. He has had victory on the cross and he will have ultimate victory for all eternity. So this is, he says this and then again he says, let me in. This is who I am. I am the Lord, strong and mighty. And then he says, lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, you ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. He asks again. He's not gonna force himself on us. One day every knee will bow, but now on earth every knee should bow. But we have choice. And he keeps saying, let me in. Will you let me into your life and to your heart? Will you let me in? Again, I wanna meet with you. Imagine the queen, a famous president, gave, up, gave you a buzz saying, hey, listen, I just really want to meet with you. Just so keen. I recommend probably drop everything for it. <laughs> but this is the king of kings, far greater than anyone else. That's what he's asking. The city again asks one more time, but who is he, this king of glory? He answers his final answer. I'm the Lord of armies. He is the king of glory. The question is, will you join him? Will you let him in? Will you be a part of his army? Or will you live for yourself? The city has a choice, you and I have a choice. God's declared who he is and what he's about. He's shown it on the cross, his ultimate mission to save people, and he continues on his mission to see his kingdom come. What a privilege to enter the Holy of Holies. What a privilege to enter the presence of the living God. What an incredible eternal mission that we're called to to bring fame of God to all creation. He's coming, he's coming in fury against sin, he's coming with love for the broken, he's coming at any moment. Are you and I ready? Are we ready? David who wrote the Psalm, he wasn't perfect, he committed adultery and murder, but he's called a man after God's own heart. Why? Because every time he messed up, he ran to God. He pursued the king of kings all the days of his life. He didn't let his mess get in the way. When he was knocked down by sin, he got up and he ran hard after God. He made a conscious decision to make the sacrifice in order to enter God's presence. Moses did the same. One day, each of us will stand before the king of glory. It may be today. It may be something we have time for, something we don't to think about. But we will stand before him in his great throne room. Every one of us, just imagine standing before the king of Kavod. We'll give two accounts. The first test will be whether we stand before him covered by the blood of Christ. And so today, are you covered? Are you saved? Have you repented, believed, and given your life completely over to Jesus Christ? Because that final day is coming like a thief in the night. He will come when no one is ready. The king of glory will, will come. Don't leave it to chance. Don't leave it going, I think, I'm, I think I'm probably saved, pretty sure. Don't think all is well because you have a Bible at home, you say grace at night, you believe there's a God somewhere out there and you come to church every now and then. 
It's not what being saved is. Being saved is believing, turning 180 degrees and staying 180 degrees for the remainder of your life, following the king. That's what it means to be saved. So if you haven't, you can do that today. The second test, then we'll pray. That's gonna be giving an account to him of how we have lived and how we've served him. We will give an account. Each of us will stand before him and we will give an account of our personal lives, of our marriages, of our parenting, our use of money, our love for his church that he died for, the way that we've treated others. Everything not done for Christ will be burnt in the purifying fire and will be a waste. What will remain for you and I? What will remain? If you were to die right now and stand before the king, what of your life and your life's work will be pure gold because it's been done for the king and what will be burnt away into nothing? Don't settle for a mediocre faith. It is not worth the eternal cost. Live for him with everything you have. Pursue his presence. Pay for that salad, whatever the cost. Enjoy the magical fountain experience in this lifetime. But more importantly, for all eternity. Let's pray. We're going to close in, um, in, in prayer. Then we're just going to uh, sing, Be Thou My Vision, as we close. I want that to be a prayer from the depths of your heart. If you have to go, that's okay. But... Uh, Rich and Joe can start praying. I'd love us to stand just as we close. Got a few minutes. Love us to stand and whatever posture you need to take, maybe it's just to have your eyes closed. Maybe it's to have your hands out to say, God, speak to me. Maybe it's to raise your hands to acknowledge and surrender that he is the king today. God, it is my prayer that your kavod, the very weight of your glory and your presence would be so tangible now that in our daily lives that we would be gripped by your presence as we're driving our vehicles. We would be gripped by your presence as we spend time with you in our homes. Father, that your, that, that you as the king of glory and your presence would be the pursuit of our lives. Father, as we sing this today, may the words of this powerful hymn be truth. May we say them from a pure heart. May we act them out with clean hands. Lord Jesus, be our vision as we sing.